Hello and welcome to Chat with Chandy. My name's Chandy and this podcast series is all about people. Each episode will be a different person sharing their story and how they're trying to change the world and make it a better place for everyone. I'm doing this because I feel like there are so many people with stories unheard and I want to help showcase them. So please stick around for this episode. I hope you'll enjoy it and have a great day. Hi everyone, so today's episode is all about social work. Um, I'm joined by Elaine and Rob um, up in Bradford, um, working in the social work team up there. Do you guys want to tell us about your roles and what you do? Oh, okay, I'll go first. It's that awkward moment where you're going, who's going to speak first? Uh, I'll speak first. Um, Yeah, so I'm Elaine. I'm uh, uh, a manager of social work service in Bradford, supporting young people with um, disabilities and the adult learning disability service. Hi. And I'm um, Rob Mitchell. I'm um, principal social worker and head of service for um, adult social work, working alongside uh, Elaine and other managers in Bradford, Bradford Council. And we've also kind of um, done some things away from the council. We've kind of written the book and we've done a few extra things as well that we're still doing. Um, I guess at the start of this, I want to know what made you join social work in the first place? Because it's not really, it's not known for being a really like, the media perceives it as a certain job that operates in a certain way. What made you want to become social workers? Do you want me to go first? Okay. Um, So, um, well, I I would love to be able to say that it was a calling and it was a vocation and it was this, that and the other and and, um, sound all high and mighty. But um, the social work, actual social work uh, as a profession for me was about just making sure that um, I could afford to kind of live, really. I'd I'd worked in social care for... um, uh, for a few years and uh, in the meantime it kind of got um uh, it was in a relationship and we'd got young children and so the actual decision to go to university and train to be a social worker as I say I would love to pretend that it was something more noble than it than it is but it, it was actually just about trying to get a job within social care that um that would kind of pay, pay the pay the bills to an extent the the the, the more interesting bit is probably how I kind of fell into social care because um, in the early 90s, very early 90s, I did a series of uh, jobs that I wasn't very good at. So I worked in a petrol station and I was the worst publican in the world because I'm, I'm, I'm a bit shy and a bit awkward sometimes with talking to people and publican, you've got to be the life and soul. So I did a series of jobs that I was really bad at and um wonder and it, in my days off i would kind of go to the job center to try and find other work and uh, i went to the job center one day and um somebody that i'd worked with previously was coming out and i knew that she'd worked in a care home so i asked her how it had gone at the care home and she said oh she'd walked out so i was thinking oh that's that must be a job then there must be a job at the care home thinking that i'd probably get a job in the kitchen maybe so i phoned the care home up um, and just explain who I was. And um, the care home manager wasn't keen uh, on uh, employing men, she told me. Oh, and I don't, we don't, I don't employ men. So I lied and said, oh, the job centre said you were a really good equal opportunities employer. Um, <laughs> and she said, oh, yes, I am. Um, come up and see me tomorrow. Um, so I did. I went to see, I went to see uh, the matron of this care home. And, um, and that went really well. And then I started on the, on, on the Monday and... Um, 
being a care assistant working in an older people's home having never done care work before was just the most amazing thing I remember going home to my then girlfriend at the time saying I I genuinely can't believe they're paying me to do this I get to go in on the morning you're helping people it's physically difficult work but just chatting to all the people about the lives that they've had and then just trying to make the days a little bit more interesting and so that was the start of the rest of my life really that was I was a you know in my I was about 20 um 21 and um yeah that was the start of everything absolutely love social care so that's my story what about you mine's a bit messy really um (laughs) I have a nice middle class story really of being a daughter to two teachers and then being strappy and refusing to go to university when I was supposed to go to university (laughs) um so the point when um uh when I then started thinking, well, I could do with a bit of money, really. I did eventually go to university. And uh, I just found myself doing jobs. And I ended up um, I ended up doing um, my first serious job because I'd had various jobs, like mm. you do, 2.20 an hour, packing biscuits and whatever. You didn't care. You just wanted the money to go out, didn't you, if you were <laughs> in that privileged position, which I was. And I got a job in, in um, a prison in the education department and they got at that time and um, they started remanding children 15 year olds into custody and I really wanted that job <laughs> really really wanted it I was in I was young I was in early 20s myself and I really wanted to be in um, working with those young people about their education and how you um, support young people to make different life chances so from that I fell into youth work which is a, like a very closely affiliated brand, especially I'm a child of the 70s. And I did a, a background in youth and community and adult learning then naturally fell out of youth and community. So I found myself kind of bouncing around between different jobs. And yeah. um, I moved between um, the voluntary sector quite a lot. And there's, I've been really, really lucky to work for a number of very... Um, different and really interesting charities and voluntary organisations and um, um, including one where I got to work with children with disabilities and that really really stuck with me. I, uh, it was a, a funding organisation and I got to visit loads of different charities and spend loads of time with children with disabilities and what really struck me was that children with disabilities and their families love completely unconditionally and they have loads of really creative and imaginative ways how they don't see themselves as a child and a family with a disability that's Mm. our projection on them they're a family and they live their life the way every family does in a way that suits them best and it was really powerful and it was about social connections and family networks and how you adapt the environment around me and how I will adapt my networks and my environment around me became a really strong ethos and a strong message for me and and then I was just really lucky that about um 10 years on from that 11 years ago and I ended up working with um Rob and with some other amazing social workers and that's when social became social work Mm. which was like uh, Rob says you know you pay it and you kind of professionalize it now and you put like a title on it and eventually I've stumbled into doing my social work training so um that's the thing I'm now working towards finalizing is is getting the professional qualification so that I can um 
be a social worker and be part of that profession and 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 it feels a little bit like kind of um, finding a, a sense of belonging and connection that I didn't know I'd missed till I found it. So and it sounds know. like you've both worked with different groups of people and you've learned a lot along the way. Is that what inspired the book? Yeah, definitely. Um, one of the the um, one of the opportunities that I had was I had a really strong opportunity working with children and families with disabilities to help them tell their their story in their own words mm. about um, that wasn't about a disability. It was about how they live their life and how um, fun and enjoyment and a child's right to enjoy life was really central to how they they saw their world. And and the book fell out of that, really. The book originally was a blog, and the blog was about stories, about social work stories. And it wasn't designed to try to um, talk about um, vulnerability or victims or things. What's the point of being another person who says, well, this thing's sad? It was actually about strength and about and see me and my right to be the person who makes the decision about how my life I live my life mm. especially when you when you're starting to talk about adults and about young people in transition who part of their transition is that they take control and they learn and they make mistakes and like every human being you make mistakes don't you and it's part mm. of how you learn and develop and learn mm. to kind of cope with things and build your resilience up so and um, yeah, the book was very much kind of building on a natural history for me of my own personal history and my work history. Rob, from your perspective. Well, yeah, I mean, the same, really. The, the, the book came out, the, the blog. The blog originally was uh, Last Quango in Halifax, which yeah. we, were really, we were really self-satisfied with the title. Um, the title was the best thing about the blog. Um, I don't know if you remember, there was a TV series with a very similar name at the same yeah. time that was set in Halifax. And of course, we're both West Yorkshire and... And very close to that. I mean, you, you're kind of Halifax-based, aren't you? I'm not far Yeah, enough. and Quang, Quang, Quangos were being kind of kicked out by the 2010 government. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was quite a topical title at the time. So we just started this blog site where we just kind of began to write up some things that we'd been involved in, just bits of social work or stories about how it felt from a social work perspective. Or more importantly, kind of trying to look from um, somebody who was who had social workers in their lives, trying to kind of, uh, through our own learning, try and think about how it might have felt from their perspective. So one um, particular story was around uh, Elsie and cats and this, uh, this, this person who I'd been involved with as a social worker where we'd admitted her to hospital under the Mental Health Act and made a, you know, a real mistake in, in doing that. We, I, I, as a social worker that was responsible for Elsie, completely lost track of, who I was there to be the social worker for, I was uh, risk averse and I I did everything that I felt that I'd been trained to do. Um, And it was actually the last thing that needed to happen for Elsie. So we started writing these blogs and people kept saying to us, oh, you know, if this, if these blogs were written up in a book, we'd we'd buy it. Um, And we kind of thought we didn't kind of take it seriously. And then just one day a publisher got in touch with us and said, you know, if you've got all them blogs, if you want to pull them together with some academic writing, um, we would be interested. So we did. And um, and it was a collectivity because there was a five of us involved whose names are on the book, but a team of brilliant, new, mainly newly qualified social workers and students who we worked with. 
um, to pull together all the uh, all the content. And um, yeah, that was the book, Social Work Cats and, and Rocket Science. And uh, and that's been great because that's opened lots of doors for us to meet you and lots of other people as well, because we get invited to speak about the book. So yeah, it's been lovely. The last few years since we wrote the book is, has been lovely in terms of kind of widening the network and getting to meet great people. And have you faced any challenges in writing the book or through the things that you've learned that like the culture of social work that you're trying to change have you approached any like friction in doing that or anything that stops you trying to to change that balance back into the power of the people yeah I, I, we're not everybody's cup of tea i think we've realized that that the minute you publish something um and you, you've got to kind of bear in mind that we're from social work background so um we we do want to be everybody wants to be liked and um you don't want to kind of cause friction. It's difficult when people criticise. And one of the really big pieces of learning has been that the fact that, you know, the book has been really generally really popular. But of course, there's going to be some people that, you know, that are kind of quite hacked off about it. Yeah, one of the things that's really frustrating as a female author is people who we aren't their cup of tea don't think I wrote it. They thought my male colleagues wrote it. And I do sometimes wonder... What do you think I did to be first author and corresponding author in a book? Like, to quote Bridget Jones, faff about with the press releases, make sure the cover design looked nice, arrange a nice do with some champagne glasses. Like, no. So that's that's like a you know some good old fashioned stereotypes are kind of in there about it. And I I think the other thing we've really taken as learning and and there's some real kind of professional humility you have to reflect on there is the bit that people really like about the book isn't actually anything I wrote. It's the, it's the um, Rob touched on it then, it's what, um, there's a section called You Are the Social Worker and it's where um, social work practitioners have drawn on their own experience to give some kind of composite examples of the type of people that come and ask for support from a, a social worker. And then they've kind of talked about in their own words how they would respond what they think about how they'd make sure that they followed a a rights-based framework and a rights-based approach to upholding that person's um uh, decision making and supporting and enabling them to make decisions and good decisions and kind of understand the options available to them and that's the bit that actually most people get most excited about and so kind of there's a lot of reflective learning there about know what what's that telling you about some of the gaps in the market what is it about supporting social workers at all levels of experience Mm -hmm. and what is it they really respond to well numbers isn't the thing really the numbers are useful and you like some numbers but it's the emotion of a story it's the the narrative it's how that connects really deeply with social workers understanding of what they are there to do which is be a social contact and that communication between yourself and the person is the foundations of the profession so there's kind of that that whole connection for me is a really important bit of learning but yeah yeah it's interesting when you start thinking about it sorry mm-hmm. quick shot no no it's fine. if you could go back to the first day that you were entering into the social care profession not just social work could you give yourself one piece of advice back that you know now what would you say Oh gosh. Well, um, because I I started with experiences. Um, uh, how do I put this into words and feel okay talking about it? Really. Um, 
The extent of misogyny that I've experienced throughout my career is really shocking when I take time to think about it. But actually, sometimes it's female networks that are harder on women. And that's really hard. You can see me getting a bit emotional talking about it. And so I started working in Mel Prison and I remember brief briefing about you're a woman and that therefore makes you a problem and when I was only 21 and that's kind of followed me for a really long time all the way my career and I still struggle with actually it's not in the end it's male colleagues and male managers have been more supportive of me than most female managers and maybe it's about being a bit gobby having you know who do you think you are thinking not only can you say it but you write it and publish it. No, it's not a woman's place. And it's timely because it's International Women's Day. When we're recording this, we're four days off International Women's Day. And um, I'm currently working with female leadership for me, feminist leadership's distributed at all levels. I'm working with 12 amazing women social workers from students up to management level who are each thinking about um, another woman's story they want to tell next week to really celebrate female leadership and feminine forms of leadership. So, and, and I feel really, really privileged that I have that opportunity and that platform to do it, but it can come at huge personal and professional cost. So Thank you. from your perspective. Um, yeah, I think mine would be that um, what I've learned is that doing social work uh, correctly, um, this sounds really glib, but it, it's really hard. And as social workers at different times in our careers, I think we are challenged to either, you can do social work correctly. And that means that you might be unpopular with the multidisciplinary team that you're working with. It might, you might be unpopular with your employing organization. You might be unpopular with your line manager. Um, and you might have sleepless nights. And then there's the other part of social work, which is to say the kind of the Elsie story, probably touches on which is um you can you can do poor social work and sleep well at night you know you there, there isn't a lot of social work police you can if you want choose to not listen to people and probably get away with it you can if you want manipulate conversations so people end up saying what would make your life easier as a social worker in terms of an outcome that you want that you can magic magically happen as a social worker so I think there's those challenges all the way throughout the throughout social workers careers and um I, I there's one social worker in particular who I've worked with for a number of years and the reason that I, I would want this uh, person for my social worker is that he never ever compromises on people's rights and he puts himself into often very difficult positions and he might be the um cause of complaints from from people but his work is so person-centered and he's so focused on the individual and he's unwavering on protecting and upholding and promoting people's human rights and I think that's kind of that's the learning that that, that I've got is that actually there's two strands of social work you can do rubbishy social work if you want and it's awful but you can get away with it or you can do right social work and if you're going to do the right social work just be prepared for some of the pressures that, that come with it it should be the other way around, really, shouldn't it? It mm. should be that you do right social work. You should have lots of support and your life's easy. If you do mm. rubbish social work, we should be kind of on your back. And But actually, it's uh, the opposite is true. Well, thank you for both being so open and honest in those responses. I think it's really important for people to hear that. And um, just thank you for joining me today.
Thanks for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Chatting with Chandy. If you have and you want more information, head over to chandy.org.uk for all the latest. <laughs>